This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The imbalance between the supply and demand for gene therapy manufacturing capacity is creating opportunities for contract development and manufacturing organizations. Forge Biologics is seeking to leverage its expertise in AAV gene therapy as a CDMO while developing its own pipeline of experimental gene therapies. We spoke to Tim Miller, co-founder and CEO of Forge, about the company's hybrid business model, how it hopes to differentiate itself through its shared experience with its customers, and its emerging pipeline of gene therapies to treat rare diseases. Tim, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about gene therapy, Forge Biologics, and where Forge sits in the gene therapy continuum. Listeners may remember you as a co-founder and CEO and Chief Scientific Officer of Abiona Therapeutics, you left at the start of 2020. I'm wondering what that experience developing gene therapies taught you, the challenges you faced, and how it might have informed what you're doing at Forge. Yeah, great question, Danny. And, you know, it was a great experience at Abiona. I mean, we took that company from, you know, ground zero with me as the only employee up to almost a billion dollar market cap at that point. And there was a lot of really wonderful learning experiences that came through that. You know, probably one of the most important ones was that the human element and the expertise that goes around the table for developing a gene therapy was really probably one of the most critical aspects um, for its success. And I think, you know, part of the lessons that we learned was that, you know, developing something like a, you know, like a phase three cancer drug just doesn't equate, you know, to some of the gene therapy um, development, manufacturing, regulatory experience because gene therapy is different. And, uh, you know, that was really one of the, one of the key lessons that uh, I think came out of that experience. People may be a bit confused when talking about Forge, which is a contract development and manufacturing organization, but also has a pipeline of gene therapies that it's developing through subsidiaries. I'd like to go through both aspects of the business, but what's the rationale for combining these two businesses? What's the business model? Yeah, it's interesting how um, we've seen in the gene therapy, CDMO, and therapeutic space, how a number of companies have, have really adopted uh, this hub and spoke model. And so this is the model where you usually have a private LLC as a holding company, um, and you have subsidiaries of that that are usually C corporations. And you know what we did was we wanted to, and again, another reflection of previous experience, was we wanted to think about how we could be good stewards of manufacturing technology as one of the biggest rate limiters in the gene therapy space, but 
take the expertise that we all had and use that, okay, to basically help not just our own pipeline, but also help help a number of our colleagues. And so that's how really the, we started Forge as part of this hub and spoke model. Forge is focused on AAV gene therapies. Why AAV? And do you foresee expanding into the use of other vectors down the road? You know, AAV is the most commonly used delivery vector in gene therapy to date. And it's wonderful for delivering gene replacement strategies, um, particularly when there's a single autosomal recessive gene that can fit in the packaging scheme of, of AAV. You know, so we wanted to start there because a lot of us had therapeutics development expertise. Um, a lot of the leadership team had previously either built out or done AAV manufacturing facilities. And so, you know, that's really where we wanted to, to exquisitely focus on. And for Forge, when we look out over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, Forge is really well positioned to be the leader in the world for companies that only focus exclusively on AAV manufacturing. And for us, you know, maybe we'll see some expansion down the road. I mean, we'll have, um, we'll be in the top three for the number of bioreactors um, in space and the leaders being able to produce per year. But, you know, we think about, you know, other ways that we can expand. Um, so we'll see down the road. We're a bit opportunistic at this point as well. What's the need from a manufacturing point of view? There's been a fair bit of new capacity that's been coming online. What's your sense of where we are in terms of the balance between demand and the ability to satisfy that? Well, you know, we talk a lot about um, how many sneezes or how many COVID vaccine injections does, you know, a particular bioreactor take? And, you know, as we, as you see more and more money uh, dumped into this space to try to build out a greenfield or, you know, renovate an old building, um, you know, expertise in being a, uh, in AV manufacturing and scale up really up through commercial has been one of the biggest rate limiters. Um, I think there was uh, in just the past two weeks, there've been a couple of articles published about great to see a lot of money being put into uh, gene therapy manufacturing, but where does the expertise, how are you doing that? You know, how, you know, where are you getting these people to do that? So I think the field in general is moving towards, there's lots and lots of more people that are getting into the CDMO manufacturing. Um, even companies that are developing their own internal workforce to be able to manufacture their own programs. So, you know, there is a balance, you know, between that, but um, even as, as late as, uh, or as early as 2020, you still see some publicly um, available articles that'll talk about the supply versus demand. And as CRISPR and prime editing and base editing, you know, expand into the field and many of them will use AAVs to deliver their technology, you know, the demand is just not keeping up. And so that's part of where we see our value proposition to be to serve our clients and our partners in this space. At what point in the development of an experimental gene therapy do you ideally engage with a customer? And is the expectation that Forge would manufacture clinical trial doses as well as commercial product? Yeah, that's part of the fun part. You know, our, um, our current client base is really a bell curve. You know, we work with customers and clients right now that are pre-series uh, series A stage, um, as well as multi-billion dollar, you know, public companies that are, you know, um, have a pipeline that they're working on on their own. So, you know, everyone needs process development for their programs. Everyone needs analytical development. These are two of the often overlooked uh, value adds from a, a CDMO's perspective. But, you know, that's we engage at all stages of the life cycle. And, 
Now, right now we can produce clinical trial doses and within a year we'll be able to be commercial. What's the range of services Forge is offering? And one of the things that differentiates Forge from a manufacturing aspect is that we actually offer um, our Blaze research production, which is a very fast turnaround. This is a way for clients to come in and get started with Forge. Um, they can use our ignition cell line, which is a proprietary HEK293 cell line. Um, but you know, if you come in and you come in very early in your life cycle development, you can use that cell line and you can extend that um, into your toxicology grade and into your clinical grade. Um, and one of the things the regulatory agencies have focused on is bridging work. And a couple of recent press releases on some public companies talking about their, hey, we did some comparability work between our early stage clinical and our late stage um, you know, product and hooray, they, you know, they're comparable. But if you come with Forge now, part of that uh, differentiation is that you can use that cell line, same process all the way through. So saves you time, saves you money, gets you easier to scale. In many ways, Forge looks more like a gene therapy company than a CDMO. Do you see that providing you with any competitive advantage as you work with customers? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of us have a very strong therapeutics background. And so, you know, it's very easy for us to sit around a table um, with potential clients and say, look, we've been on your side of the table. We know the challenges. We know that you want, you know, great work. You want it as fast as possible. You want to get into the queue, you know, and of course there's a, you know, a pricing aspect, but, you know, so it's not surprising looking at the leadership team that we look more like a gene therapy company than the CDMO. And we're good with that because we are a gene therapy CDMO. So that's part of, I think, um, our one of our secret sauces that uh, really resonates with a lot of the client discussions that we have. Let's talk about your pipeline. You've only disclosed one program and listed a second preclinical program, but have not identified the indication. But before we talk about the lead program, what's the approach you're taking to building a pipeline? What constitutes a potential gene therapy for Forge? And are you bringing programs into development from your own discovery engine, or are you looking to in-license programs? Yeah, great, great question. And one that's really fun to talk about is, you know, with, you know, the team's um, the deep expertise in developing gene therapy products. You know, one of the things that we look for are some things that are that are different or what we have always thought of as the next stage of evolution, you know, for gene therapy and building out an AAV pipeline. And so, you know, as you think about that, it's it, you get into things like multiple routes of administration, multiple capsids, you know, for any particular disease, because it's our belief that that's what's going to be the best for the patient. The more shots on goal, you know, so to speak, that you can give to a patient for their chances to get to all the target tissues that they need to correct their disease, the better we um, you know, think of a potential gene therapy pipeline product. How big a pipeline are you looking to build at this time? Is there some sweet spot between resources and shots on goal you're thinking about? Yeah, you know, as we, as we think about, you know, bringing additional programs, um, really one of the things that we have focused on in particularly our CRAB A program, you know, it's a bone marrow transplant plus a systemic AAV. It's the first of its kind in the world. You know, it's more of a platform about how we think about safe and efficacious dosing due to some of its immune uh, modulation strategies. But, you know, we're looking to develop some of that on our own, um, but we always have the potential to do some, you know, some in, in licensing um, as, we, as we think about that. So, 
Um, super excited because, you know, we get this opportunity to, uh, you know, look at our own manufacturing and that really takes off a big level of consideration because we can really be able to take our manufacturing, use it for our own pipeline to accelerate and really reduce a lot of the cost. Well, let's talk about that lead program in Crab A disease. This is a rare lysosomal storage disorder. For listeners not familiar with Crab A disease, what is it? So Crab A is a leukodystrophy. Um, patients with this, um, we focus on the infantile and early infantile forms. Um, it's a lysosomal storage disorder that uh, in these types of patients, they demyelinate a lot of their nerves. Uh, it's very similar to a disease called spinal muscular atrophy um, and unfortunately has a mortality of close to 90% by the age of three. So we take an approach where the standard of care right now is to do a bone marrow transplant, um, but we add a, a, a systemic AAV using an um, RH10 vector uh, to deliver. And what's important about this is that the standard of care using a bone marrow transplant is, uh, you know, corrects for a lot of the central nervous system pieces of the disease. But unfortunately, a lot of these kids uh, will end up developing peripheral uh, manifestations. So loss of ability to walk, to speak, you know, eventually to breathe. So our approach um, uh, has shown, and I think a number of other groups have shown that AV10 is the best at delivering by a systemic route for targeting the peripheral neuropathies that um, that it's developed. So, you know, we're trying to solve for a lot of those other manifestations and that in combination, um, and we've got on our website, you know, a bunch of dog videos and um, that are able to show, you know, the combination approach for this disease really is synergistic uh, for patient benefit. What's the prognosis for patients today with Crab A disease? Um, unfortunately, most of them uh, will die between the ages of two and three, if not before. Are there treatment options that exist? Um, other than uh, bone marrow transplant, no. Why start with Crab A disease? H how did you come to the program? Well, um, the founder of the program, Dr. Maria Escalar, is an old friend, and uh, we had worked together on some different clinical programs and you know, she was a, a fan of, I think, what we were putting together at Forge and wanted to potentially bring those programs here. And uh, we had some great conversations. And when you look at some of the preclinical data, I had seen some things that I'd never seen before in 15 years of developing gene therapies. Um, and uh, again, I, when, I think we'll release a little bit more of this later this year. But when we think about how you do an immune modulation um, and immunosuppression, um, for both the safety of the patient, uh, this will be many aspects, a uh, new way of looking at doing gene therapy for rare disease. You touched on this a little bit, but walk me through the process. What does the therapy consist of and how is it administered to a patient? So uh, we dose patients that are under a year of age and uh, we um, bring them in. We They go through uh, uh, immunoablation. So you basically treat them to get ready for a bone marrow transplant. Uh, they undergo a bone marrow transplant, and uh, we wait a couple of weeks, and then we uh, give them a systemic, you know, through a, a vein in the arm um, and, and the AAV. What's known about this from preclinical studies to date? Well, we have been able to, so there are mouse models and dog models of the disease. And uh, when you do this combination approach, um, we are essentially able to almost completely correct both the peripheral and the central nervous system deficits in the in the, in the animal models. What's the uh, development path forward, and, and where are you in development right now? 
Well, right now, um, we have received an IND uh, from the FDA. the FDA. The FDA allowed the IND to go forward. So right now we're screening and potentially enrolling patients. And we're really looking forward to sharing you know, what we hope will be some data. You've been successful at raising money, a, a total of $160 million disclosed to date. How much of that has gone into building your manufacturing facility? And how much runway does that leave you to build your pipeline? Yeah, you know, I... Uh, I, I never would have thought at the beginning of 2020 that, um, you know, there'd be a pandemic where trying to raise money and uh, so raising um, a Series A and then a Series B in the middle of a pandemic is certainly a new experience. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I think that our, our vision and, you know, the team that was put together um, has certainly really resonated with investors. Uh, you know, a lot of that has gone into our manufacturing facility and building out our team. Uh, we opened the company in January of 2020. We closed the Series A with four people and uh, 40 million in, uh, in July of 2020. And you know, closing at 120 million in April, we are uh, upwards of 90 people uh, today and look to hire another 40 to 50 people in the next six to nine months. So, um, you know, really rapid growth, but, uh, you know, more than 50% of the team has come from internal references. I think demonstrating that um, people like to follow good leaders and they like to follow, you know, really a track record of success. So we're really well positioned, I think, going into the second half of 2021 as we all come out of the pandemic and uh, really get ready to show some promise and uh, watch biotech, you know, really ramp back up again. Tim Miller, co-founder and CEO of Forge Biologics. Tim, thanks as always. Thanks again. Great talking. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.